Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today attorneys Brian Casey and Dean Conlon from the law firm of Lock Lord Bissell and Odell LLP. The firm is a full-service national law firm with offices in Atlanta, Austin, Chicago, Dallas, Houston, London, Los Angeles, New Orleans, New York, San Francisco, Sacramento, and Washington, D.C. Brian is a partner in the Atlanta office and co-chairs the firm's insurance practice group. He is also a national author and lecturer on various regulatory matters and trends affecting the insurance industry. Dean Conlon has over 30 years of experience in a wide range of insurance regulatory and corporate matters for insurers and reinsurers. He has also been involved in the design and development of various types of insurance products and programs. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. They have recently co-authored a chapter in a newly published book on insurance law. This chapter provides a comprehensive overview of the various types of taxes that states impose on insurance companies. And Brendan Noonan will lead off today with our first question. Brian, uh, please talk a bit about the history of how states tax insurance companies. Yes, the concept of state-based taxes on insurance company dates back to the early 1800s with Massachusetts, which was the first state to begin levying a premium tax, and other states quickly followed to uh, impose their own premium tax. There are a variety of state-based taxes beyond premium tax. Premium tax is levied on the premium that an insurance company earns when it writes a policy and is a gross receipts tax in contrast to an income tax. There are also uh, taxes that are levied on uh, surplus lines brokers that place insurance for non-admitted carriers. And the third type of tax is what's called a direct placement tax, where the policyholder itself is liable for the tax that would otherwise have been imposed on on the carrier. So those are your three basic types of uh, taxes that people would broadly refer to as premium tax. Dean, you want to add anything? I think that it's helpful if if people uh, understand that these three types of taxes really uh, reflect or mirror the basic type of regulation uh, within the states. And the linchpin for regulation is the Unauthorized Insurers Act. And you have to, an insurer has to be licensed in order to conduct the business of insurance. Those that do have a license, the tax is on the uh, insurance company. An insurer is permitted to do business in a state without a license as a surplus line insurer, and uh, hence there's the tax then on the sur- with respect to the surplus line premium, but it's on the surplus line producer. And in the situation where there is no producer involved, but the insured wants to place coverage with an unauthorized insurer, then there's the direct placement tax. So there's a lot of variation, but those are the three types of taxes that are generally in all states. And a a fourth element I would add is what's called the retaliatory tax, and that is a type of tax to uh, the purpose of which is to equalize the burden that a carrier that's licensed in multiple states would pay among the different states so that if a state has a premium tax rate of 3% on carriers doing business in that state and a domestic company of that state that levies a 3% tax goes to another state and the other state levies a 4% tax, then the home state will impose a retaliatory tax and charge an extra 1% 
on carriers that are domiciled in the state that charges 4% but do business in the state that only charges 3%. So if I've seen a, uh, for example, a Texas has a relatively high uh, premium tax, so if you see the taxes actually paid by a Texas domestic insurer nationwide, they'll vary significantly when the retaliatory tax is actually imposed. It'll vary significantly from, if you will, the posted rates in the other states. Ryan, I thought the other thing we might add is just while overall there's, if we're at 40,000 feet, there's significant uniformity. If you drop down closer, you look, the states have different credits that are given, uh, and there's, there's a substantial amount of variation in the types of credits. And then some states impose taxes at a local level for, some have fire department taxes to support fire departments. Others will have taxes that are allocated to the municipalities. Kentucky uh, has a significant amount of of tax uh, that's allocated to the various municipalities. So when you get to maybe uh, 2,000 feet, there's a lot of variation among the states. Are there any other types of differences among the different states? Uh, Another difference I would uh, highlight is there are a few states that levy in addition to premium tax, which again is a gross receipts tax, but also levy a corporate income tax similar to tax that any general type of business corporation would pay in a state. Now, sometimes there's credits that are provided for an offset, but in a few states you pay both a premium tax and a a corporate income tax, such as Dean's home state, which is Illinois. Dean, what are some of the key changes in recent years, and, and what can be expected to change moving forward? Well, I think there are really two areas with change. The significant area of change that Brian and I have seen would be particularly in the surplus line area with electronic processing. There are some of the larger states, larger in terms of the volume of surplus line placements that they have, Illinois for one, Texas another, California, that have so-called stamping offices. And these are generally um, regulated under the insurance code by the director or commissioner, but they're separately organized. And years ago, surplus line producers because the surplus line tax is imposed and and the regulatory requirements are imposed on the producers rather the insurers because by definition the insurers aren't admitted and they really have no contact with the state other than through the producer. The producers were required to submit generally the policies, the actual physical policies to the stamping office in the larger states or to the insurance departments in some of the smaller states And once the policy would be received, particularly uh, important would be the deck page and the information, the relevant information would be taken from the deck page to identify the insured, limits the insurer, but then breaking down into what was the tax owed by the producer with respect to that particular placement. Very time-consuming, and particularly if you get into a large volume, Illinois, with uh, perhaps uh, running right around a billion annually, uh, Texas, California, north of that. The administrative burden was uh, enormous. What the stamping offices have done and the insurance departments, to a lesser degree, have significantly streamlined uh, the process, and particularly by having the submissions be electronic in Illinois with the Surplus Line Association, which is the stamping office. Producers now submit on a flat file, adjust the name of the insured, limits, premium, and from that the tax is calculated and all of the uh, information then is recorded 
and so there a, a lot more premium can be handled by far fewer people and a lot faster. So this is certainly one area that in, in the taxation area that has changed significantly over the last five to ten years. Okay, thank you, Dean. And, and Brian, what are some of the key differences you noticed among the various states in, in doing your research? Well, one difference is, is the rate difference by line of business, and it's kind of all over the board, but states typically have a, a rate for life and or life and health, sometimes separately for health and a different rate for property casualty. So that's one big difference. And another difference would be which state agency is, char- is really the taxing authority that's charged with collection of this revenue for the state. In, in many states, indeed, it is the insurance department. However, in other states, it's the Department of Revenue or, or the equivalent in that state. Deegan, are there any efforts to standardize taxation among states, and what can insurance companies do to stay proactive? Well, I think probably the latest development that Brian and I have seen would be going back some of this goes back years and years, but in recent times, 2006 and seven, there's been a, um, a legislative, actually legislative proposal, and uh, it's actually passed by both in the uh, House of Representatives. And this is uh, reform of surplus line taxation. A significant, while in concept, uh, surplus lines tax is very, very simple, where you've got a tax on the producer that actually places the surplus line coverage within the state. And again, by definition, we've got an insurer that's not authorized or licensed to transact business in that state. So the regulatory onus then is on the producer, both to place the business properly. Generally, a lot of states, perhaps most states, require so-called declinations. They have to contact the admitted market and get a number of declinations, perhaps two or three in most states, keep those on file so that if ever challenged, the producer could demonstrate that this particular risk was offered to the admitted market and the admitted market declined. Then the taxation, the actual tax then, is required to be collected by the surplus line producer. All very simple in concept until you get a multi-state risk. And sometimes it's even difficult to know if a risk is a multi-state risk. If you have surplus line coverage on property located in two or three states, that's pretty simple. But then you move away from the very simple case, what about general liability? Well, perhaps you can allocate the total general liability uh, policy to your locations in three different states, perhaps. But then what about directors uh, and officers, officers and directors coverage. The situs is generally to the headquarters rather than, say, the headquarters in Illinois as opposed to plant locations in various states. But there are other types of risk. What about surety uh, risks that ostensibly could be allocated to multi-state locations? And with respect to surplus line placements, it's not only the tax, but if you truly have a multi-state transaction or a multi-state risk, you probably would have to have multiple producers in the, let's say there are four states, you'd have to have a surplus line producer in each of those four states getting the declinations and the other things, and then collecting the tax. Well, generally insurers will have a premium for the risk. Well, then how do you allocate it? 
among the various states, and this has been a vexing question for years. The uh, attempt really led by insurers uh, with the non-admitted insurance uh, reform act and passed, uh, repeating myself, but in 06 and 07 by the uh, U.S. House of Representatives was simply to treat the transaction or have it governed solely by the insured's home state, both from a regulatory standpoint and importantly from a, uh, a taxation standpoint. Now, this would not really permit allocation, but it was a way of, in the big picture, trying to allocate generally where some states would lose under that situation, other states would gain, but I think the thought being that overall it would work out. Now, in 06 and 07, the non-admitted insurance uh, reform provisions were passed by the House but not the Senate. The uh, nub of that is actually included in the pending federal regulation, and we'll just have to see whether that goes anywhere. But that would be a significant change if, on the surplus line area, if state regulation could apply to only the insured's home state. Okay, thank you very much, Dean. Brian, one final question. Are there any other regulatory matters developing that insurance companies should be made aware of today? Well, picking up a little bit on what Dean was talking about, I mean, the various federal legislative proposals which have found their way into Congress over the last four, five, six years, and they've taken different flavors of how the federal government may creep into the business of insurance regulation is an area where insurance companies and and states as well, I might add, uh, have to keep their eye on the ball because the premium tax revenue is a crown jewel, I think I would call it, for states, particularly in today's economy when there's a lot of budget deficits. So any legislative proposal by Congress that is tippy-toeing into the regulation of business is one where companies need to be aware of what are the potential implications for change in state-based premium taxation. Okay, thanks so much today, Brian and Dean. We really appreciate your, your talk today. Thank you. Thank you. That was Brian Casey and Dean Conlon from the law firm of Locke, Lord, Bissell, and Adele, LLP. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast at ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year 
year-long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 